When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Today I am taking in the vistas near Nargothrond from a mound, an artificial hill called Ammon Ethier. This is a, a place that was created by the elves. The people of Finrod decided to build this mound. If you saw it from a distance, you would think it was a lonely hill. But in fact, it was artificial. There are a number of these around in our own world, among many ancient civilizations. And this one here just about a league outside of Nargothrond, was built by Finrod's people for a purpose. It is called Ammon Ethir for a reason. Ammon Ethir means Hill of Spies or Spy Hill. Now, why would they create a hill outside their own city to spy? Well, it wasn't spying in the sense of looking in on an enemy so much as it was a location that they could go. They could hide their men and their men could watch the lands around Nargothron in case there were enemies. Enemies like the army of orcs and Glarung, the dragon who just sacked the city. And like any dragon would do because it's their very nature he has taken all of the wealth from the city and heaped it up into a hoard. And he is now resting on that heap. And there's one thing I wanted to address before we get into this episode. Uh, there's a, I, I got a message recently about my um, representation of Glarung on the most recent episode. And somebody wrote, hey, love the show. By the way, dragons are not Maiar. And I understand that I put forth that picture on the last episode. I also understand that, um, and just to address this from both angles, they're right. There's nowhere that Tolkien himself says, dragons are Maiar. We are not given a narrative. We are not given a storyline. We are not given a letter where he addresses this directly and says that that is the case. But we're not given the opposite case either. He has not, as far as I'm aware, and maybe somebody can point me to some little snippet of a letter somewhere that he addressed this, but as far as I've done in my research and the things that I know, he didn't say that they're not either. And when we look at the creatures of Middle-earth and the powerful creatures of Middle-earth, and you look at them on the scale of their abilities and the way, the way they work, 
you've got some other major powerful creatures in this world trolls and uh, balrogs balrogs we know were corrupted Maiar. the eagles the great eagles but we know that the great eagles are just uplifted birds they 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 didn't come from Maiar stock they're uplifted animals they don't live forever as far as we know but maybe there's evidence out there to counter that if you do find some let me know but if there is one creature in this world beyond Balrogs and the Mire that we know who have been embodied in some way, Gandalf, Saruman, Sauron, those kinds of people, I would, I would put it out there that Glaurung, maybe not the rest of the dragons who descend from him, but the father of dragons is the next most likely candidate for having been a fusion of a Maiar with some other body entity, some great lizard or something that was formed into what eventually became the species of dragons. That's kind of my personal take on it, because you look at the power, you look at the wisdom, you look at the shrewdness, and all of these things operate in very similar ways to where we see characters like Sauron or Saruman or, or, or any of the wise there's more going on inside Glarung and his ability to perceive and understand and sense things at a distance there's there's something going on there that makes him more than just a big lizard so that's where I'm going with that now it might be wrong and I don't know if we will ever find out but that's just, I guess, my gut. That's my gut instinct on it. So I wanted to address that as well before we get into the episode. So here we are on this mound. And remember it, because it's going to come back up again. But before we get to that, let's see what Turin has been up to since the events at Nargothrond. So Glarung lets Turin go. And remember, he has just messed with his mind and lied to him. Turin believes that his mother Morwen and his sister Neonor, who he has never met, are in dire peril back in Dorloman, back at their home. And the trip from Nargothrond to Dorloman is not a short distance. It is a considerable distance. And on top of that, the weather is turning cold. We are told in this passage that Turin hastened along the ways to the north through the lands now desolate between Narog and Tiglin, the area that the evil armies had marched through and that Glarung himself had cleared out with his stench and his toxic fumes. And the fell winter came down to meet him, for in that year snow fell ere autumn was passed. It was a very early winter that year. And spring came late and cold. This is another one of those moments where Tolkien gives us 
a glimpse of the weather. This is one of those things you'll notice a lot in, for example, the Lord of the Rings. He's very concerned about keeping time and making sure that distances make sense. He always does this. He makes sure that when characters are traveling, they're traveling in realistic fashion, in realistic distances. And the only time he ever really pushes the boundaries on this are during moments of great haste, like Gandalf riding Shadowfax across the countryside faster than could be possible in a regular horse, or the mustering of the Rohirrim to Gondor. The amount of distance that they travel during that time is incredible, but not 100% unbelievable. It just starts to push the boundaries of anything that we've seen happen in reality. So what we are seeing here is a reminder of the time passing. That's one thing, because he wants to keep that in check. But secondly, he notes very specifically that the winter has come early. That is not something that happens usually. And on top of that, the winter extends longer this year into the spring. It is a cold and late spring, he says, right here. Now, why would that be? Was it coincidental that that just happened to be a colder year of record when Glarung and the army of the orcs marched on Nargothrond? Or are these the machinations of Morgoth sending the cold down from his fortress in the north in order to make it more difficult for the free people we know that Morgoth throws his own power into the world itself in order to affect things. And this may be a piece of that still happening well into the first age of the world. And as Turin travels north in haste across 40 leagues, that's 120 miles, he feels like he's hearing the cries of Findulas calling to him by the woods and by the hills now, is he actually hearing her cries? Probably not. She was taken away ahead of him and driven by the orcs, or at least that's what he would assume in the situation. It's more like his conscience or a voice in his head is trying to get him to go on the right path here. And then we're told this, but his heart being hot with the lies of Glarung and seeing ever in his mind, the orcs burning the house of Hurin and putting Morwen and Neonor to torment, he held on his way and turned never aside. He does not go after Findulas. He cannot get the vision in his mind that was seared into his consciousness from Glarung's words and his hypnotic eyes out. He sees them being tortured, tormented. His home burned but he is not there yet and this is all in his head and about 40 leagues into this journey like i mentioned before he does he does that 40 leagues 120 miles all at one time that's a long trip and he's worn by this long road and he gets to the pool of ivrin remember this the place where he was healed by the waters of the pool but this time, he gets there right at the moment that the cold has settled into the point 
where the water has frozen over and he cannot drink from the water. Now you would imagine in this moment that maybe the healing waters of Ivrin could have cleared his mind and put him back on the right track. That's why this is brought up. But unfortunately, it can't. And so Turin travels on and eventually makes it to Dorloman through bitter snows from the north, we're told. And for the first time in many years, he is returned to his childhood home. And this is the description we're given. Bare and bleak it was, and Morwen was gone. Her house stood empty, broken and cold, and no living thing dwelt nigh. Nobody had even moved back into her house. They left it empty, basically. Therefore Turin departed and came to the house of Brada, the Easterling, he that had to wife Aaron, Hurin's kinswoman. And there he learnt of an old servant that Morwen was long gone, and she had fled with Neonor out of Dorloman. None but Aaron knew where. Then Turin strode to Broda's table, and seizing him, he drew his sword, and demanded that he be told whither Morwen had gone. And Aaron declared to him that she went to Doriath to seek her son. Quote, For the lands then were freed from evil, she said, by the black sword of the south, who has now fallen, they say. She looks Turin square in the eyes, and basically says, Because of you... This was a safe place, and she was able to travel to an even safer place. And on top of that, they knew about the Black Sword, but they didn't know that it was him. And then we get this moment. Then Turin's eyes were opened, and the last threads of Glarung's spell were loosed. And for anguish and wrath at the lies that had deluded him, and hatred of the oppressors of Morwen, a black rage seized him, and he slew Brada and other Easterlings that were his guests. He gets so upset at this, he kills Brada and the other people that were there. And then he leaves, and he's basically chased out. He attacks these people in their hall and has to flee for his life. So he leaves Dorlom, and he eventually escapes them and heads back to the south through the snow, eventually to an outlaw's refuge in the southern mountains of Dorloman. And during this, he's thinking to himself about everything that he has done and about what may have happened to his mother and his sister. And he has one thought, quote, then those deeds wrought not evil to all. Basically, some good did come out of what I what I have done, if my mother and my sister are now safe. And the quote goes on and says, And where else might I have better bestowed my kin, ever had I come sooner? For if the girdle of Melian be broken, then last hope is ended. Nay, it is better indeed as things be, for a shadow I cast wheresoever I come. Let Melian keep them, and I will leave them in peace, unshadowed for a while. He realizes that they are better off here. The things that he has done have actually brought some good to this world. His mother and his sister are now safe, as far as he knows, in Doriath. And it was because of his deeds. 
but he knows that everywhere he goes, something terrible happens. He just murdered some of his own people from his own home. And so he decides not to go seek them and instead to go look for Findulas. And he travels, he travels good distances looking for all the different pathways that they possibly could have taken her for any trace of a trail to track her down and can't find anything. Either the tracks are old or the winter snows have covered over them and he can't figure out where to go to find her. And then eventually he comes across a group of men from Brethil who are surrounded by orcs. They have an encounter and he rushes in like he often does, pulls out Gurthang, the black sword, and the orcs recognize it and flee. They're scared of the black sword. And having nowhere else to go, no tracks to follow, no other hope of finding her, he talks with the men and he identifies himself by yet another name. This time we are not given the elven equivalent. We are only told that he calls himself Wild Man of the Woods. Thankful for his help and seeing that he is a valiant warrior, they offer for him to stay with them. But he says, no, I'm sorry, I'm on an errand. It has not been fulfilled yet. I seek an elven woman named Findulas, who is taken from Nargothrond, Orodrith's daughter. The leader of this group speaks up. His name is Dorlas, D-O-R-L-A-S. And he knows of Findulas. And the book says that he told him grievous tidings of her death, for the men of Brethil had waylaid at the crossings of Tiglin the orc host that led the captives of Nargothrond, hoping to rescue them. These were good men trying to help out. Quote, but the orcs had at once cruelly slain their prisoners, and Findulas they pinned to a tree with a spear. So she died, saying at last, quote, Tell the Mormigil that Findulas is here. Therefore they had laid her in a mound near that place, and named it Hod and Ethel, the mound of the elf maid. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. This is the middle of the show. This is where I get to thank all of my wonderful patrons for helping to support this show and the the work that I do here. I really do appreciate all of you. Let's go through the list of the new patrons. Welcome aboard to Guy G, Nadia, Matthew K, Issa, Waffle, (laughs) welcome Waffle, Jake M, Jamal F, James C, Wes P, Christian C, Amy J, And that's it. That's it for this week. Wow. You all are the best. And I also have to shout out our VIP patrons. We have Bo, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Chris D, David M, Esoteric Rage Goblin, Jesse P, Capenna 009, Larry, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Sam B, Shannon L, Tristan P, Tyler B, Tyler M, two Tylers, and Wes P. Wow. Thank you to all of you and for all of your support. If you would like to check out why all of these people are supporting the show, maybe uh, go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast. You can check out the ad free episode tier where you get episodes early or you could check out the uh, tier above that where you get all the bonus episodes. Every week I put out an extra bonus episode and recently we've been going through some of a variety of different things. We kind of change it up every week, but Listening to some of the interviews with J.R.R. Tolkien toward the end of his life and and some of his perspectives on some of these things. I think we're going to continue with that this week as well. So go check that out. Thank you to everybody for your support. Also, we've got a bunch of new reviews in that I need to read out. Let's start with this one from Mathuris in the United States. He writes, a great guide to Tolkien. I have been reading Tolkien since I was a child and have often found myself reading chapters over and over again, trying to make sense of some of the more dense, I almost said dynamic, dense and complex Writings of Tolkien. Uh, Looking at you, Silmarillion, Tom does a wonderful job of explaining these events in a simple way that is easy to remember. When you deal with stories with your main character can take up to as many as eight different names, it's easy to get confused. So this podcast is a great companion piece for the writings. Love the show, Tom. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Matharis. I appreciate the kind words. Then we have Andrew Wren in the US who writes, insightful and helpful. I started listening to Tom's LOTR Lorecast when there were 46 episodes. I binge listened all the way to work and on the way home. It took me two weeks to catch up to the release of the 48th episode. Wow. Tom has made it an easy listening experience and has helped me understand Tolkien's world as I have had a hard time in the past comprehending the children of Hurin and the Silmarillion, just like I have a hard time speaking sometimes. I've tried for many years since the movies were released to read what I could to get more from this fantasy world, but I have fallen short. I have listened to the audiobooks of The Hobbit and the trilogy I understand with great ease. I've tried the audio of Children of Hurin and Silmarillion, but it was very hard to follow. 
With the help from Tom with this podcast, I now have a great footing on how everything has started. Tom has done a great job, and I am grateful for coming across your podcast. Andrew, that is so so nice of you. Thank you so much for that. This one is from Mick R 22 in the US who writes, great job. Absolutely love how you were able to break down the lore. You make my long commutes enjoyable for a change. Well, I'm so glad I can help with that because I used to drive a ton and it's just the worst. So thank you. Thank you for that. Manza the Elf in Great Britain writes, random elf. This show takes you on a beautiful and touching journey of realms and creation, which makes us reflect on our own world and values. One of the best out there. But for goodness sake, robots, it's Sauron, like the word, word sour, not Sauron. My elf ears bleed each time. You're the best. Keep it up. Five out of five stars. Thank you for the reminder. This is one of those things. And I wanted to address this, too, on this episode. I think part of my difficulty in pronoun- pronouncing these words is just speaking in general, maybe just doesn't come so easy for me. But uh, having read a lot of this work at such a young age, you know how sometimes you'll meet somebody who pronounces a word funny like chaos, but they pronounce it chouse or something like that because they'd only read it in books, but hadn't actually used it in, you know, speaking words ever. And I think that's part of the difficulty for me on this is that in my brain, it's it's just coded in there so firmly from my youth, the way that I read the words before I knew better how to pronounce them. So thank you for your patience with my pronunciation. I'm continuing to try to get better at this. Then we have uh, Roma, Roma Awesome. That's how you pronounce that. Rome Awesome in the United States. This is the last one. Increased my joy and love of LOTR. This podcast is amazing. I was looking for some info on the Silmarillion after watching the movies and Amazon show. I am blown away by the professionalism, information, and organization of this show. Robots is a great host, and you can feel his love of the stories coming through. I'm now planning to read the Silmarillion, as this podcast has opened my eyes to the rest of Tolkien's world heart. Thank you, Rome Awesome. And to everybody who helps support the show and share it with your friends and leave reviews, any of that stuff, future reviews on Apple Podcasts, five-star reviews will get read out. You can also rate the show on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to. All of that is extremely helpful in making sure other people can find the show. So thank you for all your support. Let's get back to the story, though. Here we go. So with the the news that Turin was late and could not save Findulas, he falls into another darkness. This is another depressive episode. And at this point, it really starts to feel like Turin might be somebody who struggles with something like depression. This isn't a word that's used in Tolkien's works, at least not in the psychological sense, but it seems like on one hand, yes, he's he's been cursed. Lots of terrible things happen around him. He makes some bad decisions. But on the other hand, it hits him really hard. He falls into these these episodes in a way. And it says here in the text, there he fell down into a darkness of grief that was near death. And I don't know if I've ever heard a better explanation of what depression might actually feel like. Darkness grief near death but Dorlis notices his sword and word of the mormigil the black sword had made its way even to this group of men from brethel 
And so they lift him up. It actually says that in the works. They lift him up and bore him away to their homes. Now, it gives you the imagery that they actually had to physically lift him and carry him. And he's probably exhausted from searching and all of that as well. Now, we're told a little bit about the place they live. They live in a forest, in kind of a high hill in the forest called Ethel Brandir upon Ammon Obel. And these were the people of Haleth. They descended from that house. And we're told here that Brandir, son of Handir, who ruled them, was a man of gentle mood and lame also from childhood. And he trusted rather in secrecy than in deeds of war to save them from the power in the north. So this group of good men that Turin happened to stumble across were not known to the outside world because they had not been going openly to war against the orcs. They had been working in secrecy instead. We're also told that they had some skill in healing. And that Turin was taken in and for a time looked over, tended to. Again, this is another one of the situations where he's brought into a foreigner's place and rises to a station of prominence. They know who he is. They know what he's done. And they want him to be okay. And in doing this, he's healed. He becomes hale again. And he gives them a new name, Turumbar. This is the first time he uses it in the story. Although at the beginning of the story, in the title of this chapter, we know that he's going to use that name. But it is not a birth name. It is another taken name, something he chooses for himself. And in High Elf, this means Master of Doom. And it says, He besought the woodman to forget that he was a stranger among them or ever bore any other name. And now that he was hale again, that's that word that keeps coming up, he decided that he still couldn't avoid war with the orcs. He needed to do something. Secrecy was not his ways. And so he made sure to keep the area around them safe and make it a place that the orcs would dread. But he did not use his black sword because he knew they would recognize it. So at this point, he instead begins to wield a bow and a spear. And at this point in the story, we are not told anything else about what's going on with Turin at this time. Instead, the focus shifts back to Doriath. And in the situation that's going on with the elves here, you have an, an elven city, a great elven city, Nargothron, which was just sacked. And so there are refugees leaving that city who don't know where to go. And so some of them head to Doriath. And Thingol and his people notice these refugees coming in to the outskirts of their forest. And so he brings them in and asks them, what is going on? What, what, is, what is word? What tidings? Why do you come here? Those kinds of things. And then, what other things do you know about the enemy? Do they still hold Nargothrond? Where are their forces set up? These kinds of questions. Because... Thingle needs to understand what is going on because all of a sudden the stock of elven kingdoms has now been reduced again. This is a dangerous time. And some said, quote, that the enemy had withdrawn northwards. Some claimed that Glarung still dwelt in Nargothrond. Some said that the Mormagil was slain. 
Others said that he was under the curse of a dragon or a spell, and yet he still dwelt there in Nargothrond. Somebody else says that the Mormagil was turned to stone. But, quote, all declared that it was known to many in Nargothrond ere to the end that the Mormagil was none other than Turin, son of Hurin of Dorloman. And word gets to Morwen and Neonor. They know for a fact now that the Black Sword, who was defending the lands, who had created a situation where they could leave and make their way to Doriath safely, was Morwen's son. And Morwen understands now that the information that they are getting from these refugees who have fled this terrible situation in fear for their lives, well, the information's mixed. Is her son still alive? Is he not? It seems like he was. Is he out there? And so Morwen decides to head off alone into the wild to either seek him or some true tidings of what actually happened to him. Now, you would imagine that this would be a very dangerous thing to do, especially during this cold winter with Morgoth's forces openly between the land of Doriath and Nargothrond. So Thingol sends a group after her in order to try to keep her safe or convince her to come back. This group is led by Mablung. This is one of the elves that you're going to hear the name of regularly. But they did not bring Neonor. Neonor was supposed to stay safe in Doriath. But we're told here that Neonor was bidden to remain behind, yet the fearlessness of her house was hers. This thing that Turin has where he is brave and fearless and runs directly at a dragon's face, she has it too. But we're also told, quote, And in an evil hour, in hope that Morwen would return when she saw that her daughter would go with her into peril, Nienor disguised herself as one of Thingol's people and went with that ill-fated riding. The group heads out, chases her down, and finds her, finds Morwen. But Morwen would not be persuaded to turn back. And then, in that moment, Nienor was revealed. And they had a confrontation, and I would imagine here that Morwen's like, you have to go back and Neonor's like, I will not. And just as stubborn as her mother decides that they're going to keep traveling together. So Mablung and his squad stay with them in order to protect these two women. So they continue traveling towards Nargothrond. They cross the river Syrian and they make their way to the hill that I mentioned before. Ammon Ethir, the hill of spies. And that was as far as Mablung would go. He sets riders around them in order to keep them from going further. And then from the hilltop, can see no signs of the enemy. So they continue down the hill with scouts to the Narog as stealthily as they can. And then we're told what's going on with Glarung. Quote, but Glarung was aware of all that they did, and he came forth in heat of wrath and lay in the river and a vast vapor and foul reek went up 
in which Mablung and his company were blinded and lost. Then Glorong passed over the Narog. This creates a mist that covers the land to a certain height, with only the hill peeking over it. And I'm going to leave you with this last paragraph. Seeing the onset of the dragon, the guards upon Ammon Ether sought to lead Morwen and Neonor away and fly with them with all speed back eastwards. But the wind bore the blank mists upon them, and their horses were maddened by the dragon stench and were ungovernable and ran this way and that, so that some were dashed against trees and were slain and others were borne far away. Thus the ladies were lost, and of Morwen indeed no sure tidings came ever to Doriath after. But Neonor, being thrown by her steed yet unhurt, made her way back to Ammon Ethir, there to await Mablung, and came thus above the reek into the sunlight. And looking westward, she stared straight into the eyes of Glorung, whose head lay upon the hilltop. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.